The Victorian era was a time where brilliant minds birthed groundbreaking inventions. Sadly, progress and peril danced hand in hand, and many of those inventions took the very lives they were aiming to make easier. Well, hello there. I'm Christina, and you're listening to History and Hearsay. In the 18th century, it was believed God took the children he wanted. But by the 19th century, science took over and women were seen as responsible for the deaths of their children. And they were judged by how many of them survived past infancy. And because of this, Queen Victoria became the model of Victorian motherhood when she had nine children who all survived into adulthood. And this was pretty rare in a time period where 15% of all newborns did not make it to their first birthday and only two out of every 10 babies lived to see their second birthday. That's an 80% mortality rate. Baby science, the idea that babies could be studied and developed into the healthiest way was the order of the day. The relationship between traditional ideas and the new scientific approach became increasingly fraught around the issue of how to feed babies. Breastfeeding had long been unpopular among the aristocracy. The queen didn't breastfeed, which might be part of why she had nine kids. <laughs> okay, I'm not gonna say that and aristocratic women had wet nurses. This was reinforced by the ideal image of a Victorian woman who was that of a delicate, refined, and restrained woman. In contrast to this, the wet nurses who fed aristocratic babies were portrayed as fat and jolly. This attitude filtered down to the newly swelling middle classes and the pressure for women to appear perfect in both appearance and in the way that they displayed their home meant they were expected to complete numerous time consuming tasks on a daily basis. And holding to these ideals, the Victorian era brought about many new inventions that were aimed at helping women make time-consuming tasks easier. And this is when baby bottles arrived on the scene. Now, to be fair, there were ancient versions of baby bottles, but these were the first modern bottles that really helped women by allowing babies to feed themselves. These new Victorian era bottles were very helpful to women who physically couldn't breastfeed or just saw themselves as too busy to spend the time that breastfeeding required. Another large influence of that time was a book called Mrs. Beaton's Household Management. Released in 1861, this book was the go-to reference guide on how to run a Victorian household. And it gave advice on cooking, hiring and firing household staff, and even child rearing. Mrs. Beaton did dedicated two chapters of her hugely influential book to baby and child care. This included plenty of useful tips surrounding breastfeeding, like making sure that you drink plenty of beer for your milk supply, though it also warned against drinking gin. And then her book went into detail on what to do if you were unable to breastfeed. In this section, she talked about hand rearing, which is what they called bottle feeding back in those days. And the bottles of those days had names like Mommy's Darling, Mommy's Little Helper, Little Cherub, or even names directly related to the country like the Empire Bottle or the Alexandria, which honored the much beloved Princess of Wales. And by naming the bottles in this way, the makers of baby bottles were really suggesting women who chose hand rearing were better citizens. Bottle feeding was portrayed as the right way to feed your children. And Mrs. Beaton's support, as well as the marketing of these baby bottles, put huge pressure on women to abandon breastfeeding. Even 
even Victorian era clothing seemed to be pushing women to choose bottle over breast. The designs of these times were all about fashion and had not been made with breastfeeding in mind. The styles often featured high necklines, corsets, and many, many layers, making breastfeeding very difficult. Especially when you think that breastfeeding is a multiple times a day thing. In the beginning, it's an all day, every day kind of thing. Sure is amazing that our bodies can make food for our babies, but boy, is it a sacrifice and a lot of work. If you don't know about that, you could just take my word for it. But there were several very large problems with these bottles. To start with, they were extremely difficult to clean. The Victorian baby bottles were glass or earthenware, and they were designed for little hands to hold, so they had like a slanted or like a banjo shape to them, which the shape alone made these bottles almost impossible to clean. You definitely could not clean them well. There was always some kind of residue stuck somewhere in this bottle, even if you did your very best there would be milk residue left behind. In addition to the shape of the bottle, the self-feeding version of these bottles also had a rubber tubing and a rubber stopper that were really difficult to clean. The rubber was porous and basically became a sponge for bacteria. Even if you left one of these bottles uncleaned for just a few hours, the rubber pieces would soak up enough of the bacteria to cause an infection. And to make matters even worse, the rubber parts on these bottles would deteriorate super quickly, so they became a choking hazard and they'd have to be tossed out. So mothers were encouraged not to wash the tubing and nipples very often in order to help them last longer. And in Mrs. Beaton's household management, she advised women not to wash these rubber parts at all. She told them to simply use them until they began to deteriorate and then toss them out and buy new parts which meant they would be reusing these dirty bottle parts for about two to three weeks. And if that didn't make you think, ew, bacteria, these bottles would often be shared among multiple siblings in the same family, further spreading diseases back and forth. After the advent of baby bottles, many Victorian households began to experience increases in contagious diseases. The lack of knowledge of transmission of germs in water meant that bottle-fed babies were more at risk. Intestinal diseases that were lethal to children, such as dysentery and typhoid, thrived in these dirty drinking bottles, resulting in serious diarrhea infections. For a small baby, the dehydration diarrhea would cause would often lead to death within 48 hours. We know now that bacteria that's commonly found in the back of the throat or in the respiratory tract, when you inhale it into your lungs, this is what causes pneumonia. And during Victorian time, infant pneumonia was the leading cause of death in babies. As these bottles became more popular, babies began experiencing severe health issues. So many babies started dying that it became evident that the bottles had to be related. And this is when the Victorian baby bottles earned their nickname, murder bottles. Unfortunately, even once doctors realized this and they began advising mothers not to use these bottles, mothers continued to use them anyway for decades after doctors knew they were a problem. So beyond just the bacteria filling these murder bottles, the actual liquids that were being placed in these bottles to feed babies were troublesome as well. Breast milk was replaced by either cow's milk or an early adaptation of infant formula, which was a raw flour-based liquid. Now, 
On the part of the cow's milk, of course, during this time, cow's milk was unpasteurized because pasteurization wasn't a thing yet. And so this meant that the health of the cow affected the health of the milk. And because adults could drink cow's milk unpasteurized without any issues, no one ever had really made the connection that it could possibly not be good for babies. Adult bodies were able to adapt to handling foodborne illnesses while infants' bodies simply were not strong enough. So even if they had a healthy cow with good milk, Victorians really had no way to preserve the milk and it would often go bad. And since at this time in history, they had zero understanding of how illnesses were spread and how germs and bacteria and all of that worked, sanitation was basically non-existent and people didn't yet understand the value of sterilization. Hygiene was essentially unheard of during this time. So when they noticed that, hmm, this cow's milk has a bad smell, the Victorians assumed that if they got rid of the odor, they were getting rid of the problem. So they would treat the milk with boric acid to neutralize the odor of the milk, leading them to believe that the milk was then safe to drink again. Mrs. Beaton's infamous guide even recommended adding bleach to milk if the milk was sour. This lady here, you guys. <laughs> Although some breast pumps did exist during this time period, for mothers who were unable to produce milk for their babies, there was a much more dangerous product also available. And that was the Victorian era infant formula, which of course influential figures such as Mrs. Beaton recommended. The formula was essentially just like flour and water and it didn't have any of the essential nutrients and minerals that are contained in natural breast milk. In fact, this formula had almost no nutritional value at all. If the bacteria didn't get them, it's almost certain that malnutrition would. Honestly, it seems like a miracle that any of these babies survived past infancy. Kind of makes you wonder if it was mainly just the breastfed ones. So, it's safe to assume that these bottles would have undoubtedly killed many children. In fact, in the first 50 years since these murder bottles had been introduced, infant mortality rates doubled, with almost 30% of all infants not making it to their first birthday. By 1894, doctors had begun to better understand the dangers of bacteria growth and an improvement was made on the bottle's design. This new double-ended feeder, often called a banana bottle, had a teat at one end and a valve at the other. So basically there was a hole in each side and this allowed for the flow of milk to be consistent, but more importantly, it didn't have any of the rubber porous tubing and it was a lot easier to clean, which meant it was a lot safer. During its heyday, this banana-shaped design was mostly known as the hygienic baby bottle, and it was praised as the savior of a high percentage of non-breastfed babies at the beginning of the 20th century. By 1897, there were outright bans of the old bottle styles, but despite this, the old dangerous murder bottles continued to be manufactured until 1920. And while it's still unknown just how many babies were killed by these murder bottles, that number is most certainly in the thousands. Over the next 100 years, bottles have continuously improved with safer materials and the cylinder-shaped design that we're all familiar with now, making them even easier to clean. Modern manufacturing gave rise to mass production of baby bottles and helped to make buying them cheaper, allowing mothers to be able to afford to own multiple bottles, making it even easier 
to keep them clean because you can have some that you're using while others are being sterilized. When we think of the Victorian era, numerous diseases often come to mind. But the Victorian home itself was filled with numerous hidden killers. Things like wallpaper, toys, clothing, health remedies. To see more of my videos on the deadly killers in the Victorian home, click here. Or to watch what YouTube thinks you would enjoy, click here.